This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vols. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. It's that time again, ladies and gentlemen. My name, as it will always be, hopefully, barring incident, is Lyle Fulton. And I'm here once again with the fantastic Jackie Vores. Jackie, coming to us today from a slightly alternative location, which I'm sure she'll explain more about. But first things first, Jackie, how are you doing this fine Thursday evening? There you go. It's a slightly different day of recording this week, listeners, for reasons that we might or might not get onto. But how are you doing this fine Thursday evening, Jackie? How's your week been? And where are you coming to us from today? (laughs) So the week has been great. Yes, it is Thursday evening. So if I'm a bit sort of different light very different light to you that I can see on zoom yeah I'm enclosed in a office which is mid-renovation so <laughs> it looks like a workshop in here which I'm very familiar with because I usually podcast from a workshop um but yeah I'm sitting in part of the renovation plan there you go we're going to make this office very lounge-like, salon-like, with a you know lot of breakout areas, with a lot of furniture, which is of course my passion. Of so course. you know, I'm I'm bringing in things like this big old leather X heels leather sofa, and got a poof and another leather chair, and lots of assorted chairs and sofas. There's a blue velvet sofa sitting ahead of me. So it yeah, was me. there you go. There's all sorts going on. Lots of furniture. All sorts going on. Whereas if you're watching on YouTube listeners or viewers, even you'll see that I'm still surrounded by lots of 30th birthday apparel um, because and, you know, if you've done your investigative work, you'll obviously know when my 30th birthday is and was. And therefore, you'll know when we are recording this podcast, because as I said to Jackie before we went live on this recording, only a insane person would still have 30th birthday paraphernalia around them weeks and weeks after their 30th birthday so it's my 30th birthday this weekend just gone when we're recording this podcast and my lovely wife has put lots of posters up around the flat of me <laughs> you know I think looking reasonably okay there's one or two pretty embarrassing ones in fact there's, an, there's a quite an embarrassing one that way uh and I'm pointing to my left listeners uh which is not in shot fortuitously but we are also listeners this week because Jackie and I have been extremely busy, but we want to get this content out. We want to get the podcast out for you, our fans, our listeners. Fans, that's awful. How awful is that to say? I mean, I don't think I've ever said fans. I mean, for all no. we know, people are no. listening to it going. That is assuming that people enjoy listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always a dangerous assumption. It's an assumption I never make. You know, I assume people enjoy listening to me speak. But this week, listeners, we've been very busy doing all sorts of other things. My theatre company had a show open this week, which has gone very, very well so far. And Jackie's been very, very busy, obviously, with the renovations. Exercising staff, who's away in San Francisco. He's at GDC at the moment, which is Game Developers Conference, one of the biggest games conferences in the world. Of course he is. Of course he is. And, you know, Daft's away in glamorous San Francisco and I'm surrounded by birthday decorations and Jackie's sitting on a huge leather couch in a renovated office. There you go. It's kind of how the other half live kind of stuff when it comes to Daft being away. (laughs) But that's really unfair on Daft. That's really unfair. No, it's really unfair because he's decided to go totally cheapo this time and he's staying in a motel and he got chased into his room last night. (laughs) What? One of the itinerants in San Francisco. Apparently they've got a terrible homeless problem in San Francisco and Daph likes to keep it real. He doesn't like to do the, you know, the expensive trips and stuff like that. So. That's extra fair enough to him as well, Daph. And Daph, yeah. if you are listening, I'm sure you will be. Daph, if you are listening, my apologies for the how the other half live comment. <laughs> sincerest apologies. But that's actually, I mean, yeah. A, extraordinary. We won't dwell on that too much. And I hope Daph is okay as he's listening to this. But also it kind of... Are you going to do the segue of my preparedness in case anything happens to Daph? Here we are. Here we are. Segue. The segue klaxon is loud and clear in the ether because this week we've decided to on the hoof, really. But we have, in essence, prepared because we've spoken a little bit about this in episodes of the podcast in the past. This week, listeners, we're going to be talking about crisis preparations because we've done a little bit on crisis management in the past and how you (laughs) retrospectively deal with a crisis when it arises, be that with a client or in a particular situation, if you're working in-house, et cetera, et cetera. But we've never 
really touched on in the fullest extent we can crisis preparations and obviously Daff in and of himself kind of experienced a bit of a crisis last night and obviously I'm just going to reiterate we hope he's okay and I'm sure he is I'm sure he's doing great over there in San Francisco but Jackie just to kick things off crisis preparations what's been your experience throughout your career in dealing in these things how do you go about a strategy how do you go about preparing for a crisis before it happens because surely you have to cover so many different kind of well, tracks, so many different little areas, most of which could end up being hypothetical, but obviously you need to prepare accordingly. This is true. And a crisis is just that. It is the unexpected, the overwhelming situation that takes you by surprise often, that you need to respond to quickly, appropriately, well, to contain it, to manage it, to make sure that you're not making it any worse and that you are coming across as organized, responsible, authentic. And, you know, the very point of crisis preparedness is it's a state of mind and a state of process rather than thinking of every single thing that can go wrong, right? So that's really important. When we were talking about Gary Lineker, because we can sort of plot things out a bit and say, okay, with Gary, the BBC should have done a certain number of things with their social media policy. That is a crisis that could well have been averted because if you have policies about things, you have a reason for having policies. And that's usually because you want people to behave a certain way. So there are certain things that you can be very prescriptive about the behavior of employees, how they handle their social media, um, how they behave to each other in the workplace. All that sort of stuff is usually handled from an HR standpoint. So if you look at policies and stuff like that from an employee standpoint, like in Gary's situation, HR at BBC should have been total, HR and legal really, should have been involved in contractually explaining and setting out what the policies were for the BBC and making that very clear. There you go, BBC. That's a bit of free advice to you. Anyway, but when I came back to the thing is that with a crisis, you can't necessarily know what's going to hit you. So it comes down to a state of mind and a state of procedure that you go through with anything. So in my last company, before I set up Demoso, I worked a lot in crisis in Peppercom. And we had this process called CARES. And that was that was set out for giving people different stages of a crisis. And it was an acronym, an acronym that basically took you through a process. But to be just really, really simple, the first thing to do is think about what could go wrong, all the things that could go wrong, make sure you've got policies for them. I'm not going to go into the myriad of those things because, you know, that could vary from whether you're a manufacturing company straight through to public relations company. Sure. And as a business officer, as a director of any company, you're going to have to make sure that you understand your business and all the things that could potentially go wrong in that business. You should be insured for it as well when it comes to public indemnity and liability insurance and all the different insurances, your business insurances. So that is a directorial responsibility. When we get down to when things go wrong, what do you think the first thing you should do, Lyle, when you're starting to think about how am I going to put together a crisis procedure? Well, this is interesting because as a business owner, as someone who runs a business, I probably should know absolutely the staple thing that you go about doing. And so you've tested me here, which is appropriate, totally appropriate. I mean, in my opinion, if I was looking to put together a strategy, it would be for me about clarity mm-hmm. of like i mean we spoke about clarity of messaging when it came to the lack of it again mm-hmm. sorry bbc i'm not going to make it a bbc bashing thing again after the gary Lineker episode but they lacked clarity in that particular situation and it was all it wasn't even vague they just didn't really have anything and i, th- I suppose in basic terms and you're going to tell me that this isn't the first thing you should look at but in basic terms for me i'd be looking at at least have something have something for every possible outcome right, have a so set of rules and parameters you know the person or the people or yeah. the team. so who's going to be the go-to 
in this situation oh yeah and responsibilities yeah roles and responsibilities and who's responsible for what area of things and yeah that's that's a huge thing for sure so depending on your business and depending on the situation you might want to bear in mind that you might need hr you might need legal you might need team management you know management of different teams all sorts of different things so that's the first thing you might need your pr involved your communications people so the first thing to do is think about who in our organization should be involved should a crisis hit right then the next thing to do is tell them (laughs) (laughs) this is what they're expected to do well yeah because if they don't know what they're doing yeah yeah and assign roles so let's you know let's let's say that you have three people that you've said okay i'm going to get sue mark and john to work on any crisis that comes about. And then it's quite simple, assign those roles, make sure that you have thought about who you're going to have to communicate to, who's going to do the heavy lifting in terms of actually managing any moving parts of the crisis and how you're going to make sure that communication happens within the first people handling the crisis. And then you need to set out what your expectations of them are. And that's the most important thing. Because when you go into a crisis, not a lot of people think about expectation of success of dealing with that crisis. So what are the success parameters of any given crisis in your organization? Mm-hmm. So, And this is, it's all, it's all supposition at the moment. You don't know what is going to happen, but at least if you've got some people there who are going to be responsible for dealing with that crisis, then they are going to want to know what they're supposed to do. And the only way to set a benchmark is set a benchmark for success. So what would be a successfully dealt with crisis should be that the crisis had been communicated and escalated in the most efficient and best manner so that people know about it and a plan is formed. Those people should know how to create a crisis plan. And that's the process that I was talking to you about. And I'm not going to go into that in this podcast because it's very formulaic. Sure. But there are specialist companies and people like me and specialist crisis companies that can come in and say, okay, this is how you create your crisis plan. The best way of describing it to people is a bit like that sort of that calling tree that you see in some of these American movies when the mom calls the mom, calls the mom, calls the mom. Sure, sure, sure. No, that's great. They can deal with it, then they can't deal with it, then they'll call so-and-so and such and such. And that is the best way of sort of envisioning how to handle that crisis. So let's say that the BBC and the Gary Lineker situation had all of this and they'd done all their calling trees and everything else and they'd spoken, they'd had all the right people coming in to try and deal with the situation. What I feel that was missing with that BBC situation was the parameters for success. Because damn well straight, there is no way taking one of the most loved programs of the TV off air and replacing it with 20 minutes of people passing a football between them was a success. That was no success by any means, shape or form. They had so no plan, did they? They didn't have a plan. really wrong was mm. the people handling that situation had not set any benchmarks for success. No, no, you're absolutely right. And also what was really interesting as well is that they then, and I was going to actually speak to you about this kind of, I was going to text you after we you know, released the Gary Lineker episode saying, oh, kind of, things are kind of ticking over again, stuff's happening. Because then there was a mini crisis and it's a real mini crisis. It was kind of, blink and you'll miss it sort of stuff and whether you can even call it a crisis is up for some debate but then Gary Lineker got a bit poorly coming back I know <laughs> this sounds true, didn't he this sounds crazy hey we've got Gary back and oh no this we haven't he's no, not we haven't. and then he had, he had to tweet saying by the way I was never actually going to be on match of the day this Saturday and it's like well hang on a minute we've kind of built up that you're like this triumphant return to match the day from Gary Lineker and then it was Mark Chapman, who I also really respect. And Mark Chapman was one of the people who got the phone call on that fateful Saturday, basically being asked if he would host Match the Day. And he, in solidarity with Gary Lineker, went no. And that's kind of part of the phone tree. Mark Chapman was arguably part of the phone tree, like Alex Scott was, like Ian Wright was. Do you fancy doing it? No, no, no. They didn't have the phone tree 
plan so you know i suppose they kind of then had a very mini kind of like almost social crisis to address that they again didn't address they kind of didn't come out and make a statement or anything like that it was up to gary lineker to tweet i was going to ask you a question though it's really interesting it's great advice actually for me as someone who runs a business because i immediately jumped to i've got to get something down in writing you know parameters and all this sort of stuff and no, everybody thinks about the things like responses and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the basics have to be in place. You have to have the infrastructure in place. Yeah. The people, the parameters, the measurement for success. Yeah. Then you can work back from what What do I want any crisis to be? So it has to, my legal team have to know about it. My comms team have to know about it and be able to act on it. Any crisis we have to be seen to be acting by our vision and our mission and our values, which could be for some companies, you know, transparency, honesty, trustworthiness, whatever. But if you set your parameters of successful handling of crises, then people can work back from that. Absolutely right. I mean, I think as well, what I was going to touch on, what I'd like to touch on actually in the form of that question to you is, we've spoken about employability and like, starting out your career and what's best to do if you're a graduate and looking for a job and we've also spoken about how you go about you know looking for potential employees to the mozo and what you've done in the past with other positions you've held as well i mean is that a really it's a strange question in a roundabout way because is that a crucial skill you look for and how do you search for that as an employer because i mean from the perspective of being a pr agency and, and running a pr agency you are both looking for employees who have experience or have the skill sets required to be good at this sort of thing, to be good at crisis preparedness, but then on crisis preparation. But then also as a PR agency, you're arguably also part of the crisis preparation of another business as well. So it's kind of twofold, like you both need to be good in-house and with a view to sort yeah, of working I, with other I, people. I don't employ people for crisis. No. That isn't something that I'm thinking about when I'm employing people to start with. Mm. For me, crisis is actually a very straightforward set of things to do. And if you'd be surprised to know, Lyle, that most crises have usually got a set amount of time that allows you to be able to plan. Yeah. Right? You usually have a couple of hours to be able to address every part of the plan. What you need to create the plan is that infrastructure in your thinking, in your crisis state of mind. So the infrastructure has to be there. Then from there on in, you can create the plan. So one of the main things I've talked to you about is people and parameters. And another thing I want to talk to you about, when you've got that infrastructure in place, then it's people, parameters, and planning. So then you come to your plan. Right. We talked about the crisis with Phil and Holly from this morning before on this podcast. I was going to bring this up, actually. Yeah, it's really interesting, this. Yeah, with a view to this. Yeah, this is a really interesting example. They had plenty of time to plan their communicate, and that was a communications crisis. There are lots of other crises I've dealt with before, product recalls, murders, all sorts of different things. But this was, the Phil and Holly one, was something that they did have enough time to plan their communications around, make sure that everybody was on the same page, make sure that everything was authentic and real and true to fit to purpose. And they didn't do it. They didn't plan it accurately. They didn't get everybody else on board. There was no messaging that was agreed. And that's why that went to the proverbial. <laughs> so oftentimes, and most oftentimes, you have enough time to create your plan. Yeah. Right. And that's when the parameters come in. And I know it sounds a little bit, what's the word, unemotional, but you do actually have to be unemotional in a crisis. You have to take your personal emotion out of a situation and think about everybody else's emotion Absolutely. and think about how everybody else is feeling and who are the first and most important people to be addressed now. Mm. A lot of people in a business often think that it's the public. It's, you know, telling, you know, creating statements and doing press releases. That's not usually the case. It's usually the employees, the nearest and dearest, the family of the employees. It's usually much closer to home. And what people often forget in a crisis situation is that they need to build their ambassadors. They need to message their communication 
accurately and well and plan those messages out and plan for what everybody needs to be done. And if there aren't any answers, sometimes you just don't have the answers. Mm. It's okay to say we are working on answers for you. We don't have all the answers yet. This is an active situation. As soon as we have something, we will get it to you. As soon as we know things, we will tell you. Yeah. Nothing is off the record in a crisis. Nothing. That's it. Yeah, it's all out in the open, isn't it? it? Or you don't say it. Yeah. But the most important thing is never to suppose, never to assume, work with the facts, work with empathy. And I think those are very important things. You know, a lot of people would make the assumption that X, Y, and Z and say, oh, I think this is happening. Oh, I think that is happening. Very dangerous to do that in any form of a working crisis. So you work with your facts and you think down the line to what your parameters of success are. And that should guide you in your communication. And I think as well, that's a really good point, by the way, you mentioned as well silence, which I find really, really intriguing. This idea that actually um, this is a really weird analogy and it's a really weird tangent I'm going down. I grew up, I'm a guitar player myself and I grew up. My dad introduced me to loads of really famous and sort of inspirational guitar players, some of whom I I absolutely adore. And one of them was a guy called Eric Clapton, who's famous for being called, you know, slow hand and like that sort of thing. My dad always used to say, what's great about Eric Clapton and one of the best things about Eric Clapton as a guitarist is not what he plays, but what he leaves out. He leaves all kind of pretension at the door. You know, he'll play when it suits the music. He'll play when it suits the tempo and the beat and that sort of thing. And it's kind of the same in a crisis, right? Like sometimes the silence can be just that, right? Sometimes the silence can be nothing. And it's like, hang on a minute, I need, we need something from you. And sometimes, like in the case, and we've spoken before about the monarchy, sometimes when it comes to the monarchy, the silence can be absolutely appropriate. The more you get involved, the more, and, and they clearly have a plan You've even spoken about it. I forget the term you used, but the monarchy actually have a, a crisis preparation plan, which involves their silence with the media, don't they? It's like kind of, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's like sort of don't say nothing or whatever, or I can't remember what it oh, is. Oh, I, oh yeah, there's a there's the phrase, which has yeah. gone out of my head now. I know exactly what you mean. So silence is quite an important one to get clear. Mm. Ah, there we go. Because if you're going to be silent... You should say why you're being silent. The monarchy, everyone knows why they're being silent. They have, that's longstanding. If you're dealing with a crisis and you don't say a thing, you're going to get people's backs up. That's it. You've got to be prepared for that. Mm. If you say with your silence, we can't say anything until we have the facts. And when we get the facts, we will let you know. That's a very different type of silence. Mm. A silence that's clamming up, leaving everybody to make their own suppositions, to make their own assumptions. Yeah, it can be a powerful thing, but needs to be used carefully mm. with judgment and with the knowledge that when silence happens, people can react badly against that. You often, with crisis, we're moving into crisis comms now rather than crisis preparedness. Sure. If your policy is going to be say nothing, there is a way of saying nothing. And you have to have a plan. Right, you have to have a plan as to why it is and you have, always, to, you have to prepare. Always got to have a plan. And the most important thing about that plan is that plan has to be communicated. So it's all very well you having a plan, but if you haven't told everyone else about it, that's no good. So that plan has to be communicated regularly amongst the people that you have assigned to it and it has to be revised and it yeah. has to be reviewed constantly we as people are growing and changing all the time our social media platforms are changing all the time our communications platforms changing all the time technology is changing all the time everything is changing and that impacts your plans and the way you react to things so you always always once you've got a plan which is great brilliant good don't just pop it in the drawer and think yep done that crisis plan done you need to go back to it. And the people who are part of your crisis team need to have some assigned meeting just to say, hey, let's just review the plan. Where are we? What are we going to do? Now that, I don't know where that would sit in any every organisation, but could usually sit within an HR and training yeah. part of the organisation, especially if it's a, a larger organisation. Yeah. But for small companies, 
it is really difficult for small companies to think about absolutely everything that can go wrong and you know could go wrong and what they do about it and it would usually be the managing director or one of the directors and it warrants thinking about what you would do and you don't have to write reams and reams and reams but you do have to think through as an owner or a director of any business you have to think what could go wrong here and it comes down as well i think i'm sure to like you said earlier the infrastructure the personnel you have at your disposal but also i mean for the sake of argument in my capacity as the owner and director of a theater company quite a lot of my crisis preparations involve writing and drawing up risk assessments for on-site productions and, and events and things like that now i can't write a risk assessment knowing everything that's going that could potentially happen in this production or this event that I'm organizing and that we're staging with my actors with the front of house staff who I'm liaising with at the venue with the director on site with any of the tech team because at most I'm in charge of a technical operator and a cast and at least I'm just in charge of my cast my actors because we're visiting other venues so they'll obviously have risk assessments themselves but I have to draw up a risk assessment that loosely fits yeah, the activities that we're going to undertake as a theatre company. But it comes down to not just the infrastructure and the personnel you have at your disposal, but a question I was going to ask you, a bit of a loaded question, because I'm fairly certain that the answer is probably yes, probably also comes down to your understanding of what it is that you actually do and provide as a business and what you are, basically. like your message. Again, it all just comes down to messaging. Like messaging and preparedness go hand in hand, because actually, you're so right. Success is based on parameters you set up for yourself and you put out there in the ether in black and white or wherever you decide to do it. But they can't be, you can't draw up a million of them when it comes to crisis preparation. You can't draw up like a billion, you know, crisis preparation parameters. So you have to understand what it is you actually do. Your messaging has to be on point and you have to be able to react and adapt. Exactly. Because so your plan should be mostly process. Yeah. Should be. Rope in HR and make sure you've got a statement done. Do a timeline, all these different things in a crisis. So, for example, going back to what I was saying about, you know, usually you have time to plan. I've worked with a lot of company communications around layoffs or company closures. So this will be a time when large companies know they're going to have to divest of operations in certain places and they have to communicate the bad news to their employees, the people that are staying, the people that are going. In the European Union, there is a lot of legislation. I don't know what the UK legislation is now because of Brexit and everything else, but there is legislation that's around consultations and stuff like that. So you have to know your legislation. You have to know that everything has been done by the book. You have to have empathy and understanding for those people who are going to get laid off. You have to think about how they're going to be told, when they're going to be told. Then you have to look at the timeline for when they go out and tell their wider set of people. And then when, you know, when should you be telling your stockholders or do you see what I mean? So you have to have a timeline, make sure that everything is the process is set out really, really well. Then within the timeline, allow timings for things like, more questions in the consultations or the fact that you might have employees working on shift work for example so you might have to tell one shift and then tell another shift and then tell another shift and then you know think about Chinese whispers well there are so many different things that you have to do but communications is central to crisis good crisis planning and execution absolutely yeah you know you could come up with the best plan in the world but if you don't communicate properly that can just fall down around you. So your communications have to be on point. Your messaging has to be on point. Your timing has to be on point. And there is no way on God's green earth that you should start coming up with suppositions, promising things that cannot be cannot be done, alluding to things that may come. None of that will help any crisis. You have to work with facts. You have to work with action and that's another thing people in a crisis want to know what is going to happen what are the actions and even if it's the most minuscule of actions you're well within your rights to say we are doing this minuscule action because at least it shows that you have a plan you have actions that you are going to do and you are communicating those actions and so when people feel that within a crisis 
that communications are planned and this is how you're going to communicate. This is so, for example, when we do product recalls, we set up phone lines, we set up websites, we set up Twitter feeds, whatever, different types of multi-channel communications where people can ask questions about the product that they have. Is that the one that's being recalled? How do I get it back to you? Who's going to pick it up? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, you have your communications platforms all set up. So there's a lot to think about with crisis preparedness. It's not just, well, something might go wrong and we will have this person to go and talk about it. It's nothing to do with that. It's how you manage an entire process. I was going to ask you, actually, and I might still ask you in a little bit, good examples of a crisis preparations plan, a crisis strategy. But actually something's just sprang to mind and it's really interesting. And we're going to be a bit careful here. Um, I think appropriately careful if I if I need to be. I'm sure I do. But I was watching. I mean, it's it's out in kind of public recourse at the moment. It's a Netflix documentary that I was watching about the missing Malaysia Airlines. Flight. Oh yeah, uh, MH three seven nine. I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get that wrong, but MH three seven nine, worldwide global crisis captured the world's attention. Conspiracy theories galore. You know, loved ones can get any information from malaysia airlines it's really interesting actually because the netflix documentary doesn't take a side at all it basically just puts forward all of these theories and it actually gets people from malaysia airlines who were working from the day of right the way through to like i mean it, this is still going on and still so many people who have no answer and have no idea what happened now i've got to be careful don't want to be critical i'm just i'm, I'm going to stress this you know for kind of you know legal reasons i'm sure that i'm not being critical as well i'm just sort of stating facts at the moment it became clear watching this documentary that there wasn't i mean albeit this is a hugely unusual case i mean i don't think they'd lost a plane which is essentially what they did you know ever or certainly in decades and then they kind of it's things happen quite quickly but their preparation for that situation was i mean negligence a bad word but it was they clearly hadn't planned to a strong enough degree for this situation that then ultimately arose and was very very tragic and it's still incredibly sad and as a result it just it just struck me when you were sort of talking through that you know having process due process because no one knew who to go to in that situation none of the loved ones actually and that's what was so frustrating none of them knew because it was a national airline do we approach our national government? Well, there were issues there already. Do we approach Malaysia Airlines directly? Where do we do that? Because some of these people's loved ones were from Australia, were from New Zealand, were from the UK. So do I approach Malaysia Airlines in the UK, that branch, the Malaysia Airlines in Australia, etc. No one knew what to do. And then the communication side of it was also very muddy because they were basically saying what they knew at the time, but within 24 hours certain parts of what they then said in the statement were proved not necessarily false but couldn't be confirmed and it got to the point where they confirmed it had sadly potentially crashed into the ocean based on some data they found that was transmitted to them from a london branch of like a satellite data sort of company and not through actually having found it and that then was a crisis in and of itself because the loved ones of the people who sadly lost their lives were like well you can't that might be the first case in history of a pronouncement like that based solely on data. And that was then managed poorly because they hadn't planned for that. I mean, is that kind of an example of bad? And again, I'm going to be very careful here, but bad preparations in terms of the fact that if they did have a process, and I'm sure they did, it was adapted strangely. It was stretched, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And this is why I go back right to the start with the crisis frame of mind, because let's say that an airline might know it's a possibility sure. that they might lose a plane. So with a crisis frame of mind, what are the parameters for successfully handling that crisis? Now, I know it sounds horrible to use the word success when we're talking about death and tragedy, but it would be much better to use that word when it comes to keeping loved ones informed. Because there's Absolutely. nothing you can do to help them other than tell them what they need to know, which is the facts. Yeah. But they need, those poor families 
needed channels of communication. So within a crisis preparedness plan, there should have been one of the first things you do is set up your channels of communication and you set up your liaison Mm. officers. For me, that would be a perfectly valid part of a plan, right? Mm. So you work those things through. But what I've done just now is showing you person, liaison officer, plan, parameters. You know, there's a lot you can do just around the, the three Ps. Yeah. So everything that you do within a crisis, you have to think through to the end goal. And so with a aeroplane crash, the end goal can only be to keep the families and the loved ones informed. Yeah. That's your communications part of your crisis plan. The other part of your crisis plan is what you're actually doing about the crisis. And the two should communicate with each other. So the crisis team who's handling the crisis should be talking to the communications people and allowing them to do their job. Mm. Therefore, as part of your plan, you'll have your whole internal communication system set up and the people who to be held accountable for that. Now, what we're talking about there was a plane crash. That's a really horrible, horrendous, major crisis that yeah. is really difficult to manage all those moving parts. Do yeah. not, you know, don't estimate for one minute that that is, is an easy thing to handle with even the best plans in the world. Of course. It's going to go wrong with that kind of a crisis. You cannot... You cannot get everything right. Yeah. But if you just have, you know, the basics set up, you should be able to work around that. I don't know what went wrong with that particular one. I think it's very difficult also when you're dealing with multiple languages, multiple cultures, multiple, you know, it's just, that is just a really difficult crisis to get right. Actually, it goes back to something we discussed on earlier podcast episodes, and we will begin to discuss, I'm sure, again, which is the idea that actually someone in the documentary who was close to it, who I think worked for Malaysia Airlines in their crisis management team, someone who was like kind of their liaison officer or equivalent, said that by the time they were starting to gather facts that they knew to be facts the media had got hold of it conspiracy theorists had got hold of it and before you knew it they were getting so many messages from people who claimed to have information this is something we haven't addressed Mm. when i started in crisis we didn't have this thing called the internet and thing called social media that didn't happen no we were dealing with snail mail and telephones and faxes you know, we didn't even have mobile phones. Oh my God, I'm really showing my age. <laughs> you have websites to give immediate information. You know, the most sophisticated thing you could do would be to set up an answer, answering service. I mean. So nowadays, uh, the platforms of communication are multitudinous. And as you said, conspiracy theories, people can set up a Twitter in the Malaysian Airlines name and call themselves official like that. Exactly. And and all of a sudden you've got information coming out of your ears, basically, in terms of like what what could be happening and all sorts, yeah. It's why it's really important to have the plan set out early doors thinking about all of your channels of communication. Because we're talking about crisis preparedness here. The end point is how that is all communicated. Mm most important thing is the actual handling of the crisis yeah then how it's communicated out absolutely right the two are synchronous you can't do one without the other well so this is why the team the people the accountability the parameters have to be in place first and the plan has to be there and the thing is a lot of it is common sense yeah that's i mean and that's isn't that dangerous right isn't that the issue is a lot of it is common sense and both and so a that's great and that's a positive and a real fillet for organizations who go, look, as long as we communicate things appropriately and we go through due process and everyone's pulling in the same direction and we and everyone knows who's supposed to be dealing with what part of the crisis based on our plan, then a lot of it is just common sense. But yeah. as we know, common yeah. sense isn't necessarily a trait that lots of people sense. have. <laughs> yeah, but also some people are very literal with a plan. Mm. So you do need to be quite careful in how people execute your plans. So I was watching an episode of The Apprentice the other day, which is honestly, I just, <laughs> it's 
Anyway, they were doing this thing in the desert. They had a mini crisis in that. Sure. They were doing a hospitality task where they had to cook a a luxury meal in Dubai, I think it was, or in the surrounds of Dubai. The hospitality task was taking a company's employees for, you know, very high cost per head and giving them a day of luxury and entertainment. Sure. And the objective of the task is obviously to deliver a fantastic day with a brilliant profit and happy clients. Sure. And in order to get the profit, they're obviously trying to negotiate all their costs down. And in one of the teams, they had decided that they were only going to give people two glasses of water and one glass of orange juice with their fancy meal on their £400 day out. Sure. Now, they sort of made these estimates based on who knows what, but those are the estimates they made. And when somebody said, could I have another glass of water, please? They were like, you're only allowed two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a bozo kind of thinking, well, I'm going to tell the truth because you can't get in trouble for telling the truth. Oh, rookie. Right? A plan should have flexibility built in Mm. to be able to adapt Mm. as the crisis formulates and changes because nothing is static nothing will stay the same it's a beast of moving parts so in that situation were they able to get more water could they negotiate with their suppliers to get more juice maybe wine or beer yes they could so your plan should have the ability to be able to move within the plan their budget should be enough it had some parameters like look We're going to aim to spend this, but we might spend that. And you have to be able to have that breathing space within a planet. You can't be rigid. And so what Bozo should have done was say, of course, you can have some more water, run off behind the scenes, say, we've underestimated our supplies. We need to sort out more supplies. Let's get the, the feet paddling under the water and look like swans on top. That's it. That's another thing. There is an issue with how much of the truth do you give out Mm. at any stage? And I'm never saying don't lie, but there are times and timing is important on how you communicate, when you communicate, what you communicate. We had actually an instance this morning. They don't need to know a lot of the detail. They just need to know something is being done. Absolutely right. I mean... My acting company had an instance this morning. In fact, it might even have been this afternoon. No, it was definitely this morning where we went down, me and my colleague who ran the company went down after having tech operated the show. I did the sound and my colleague did the lights. And we went down and went, oh, what a fantastic show. The audience loved it. It was like the best it's been. And half of the cast went, oh, I'm so glad because the first 15 minutes I was having an absolute nightmare. You know, I left all this stuff backstage and I left this and I left that. And I've had instances where I've come off stage and I've said to sort of paying audience members who I've never met, who've come up to me and thankfully have gone, oh, what a fantastic show. You did brilliant. And I, I, you know, you're kind of taught by your teachers, you know, whether you do this or not is then up to you. But people in the know would always tell you if a paying member of the public turns up to your show and says you were fantastic, what you don't say is, oh, I thought I had a bit of an average one, if I'm being honest, because they've paid to come and see you. They've paid to come and see you and they've enjoyed it. And that at the end of the day is the point. That's your job. Your job is to go on stage and to perform to such an extent that the audience who have paid to come and see you have enjoyed themselves. And whatever you then get out of it is a bonus. But if you turn around and go, oh, I had a bit of a, you know, I, you know, I wasn't great then, then keep it to yourself, you know. And I've had instances where I've left stuff backstage i famously this is a tangent and then i promise because people don't want to hear about my examples of me you know history of me acting but i've played hamlet and i left my dagger backstage no. uh, when i was supposed to be threatening my uncle claudius um who i at that point knew had spoilers if no one has read hamlet at that point knew had killed my father and i'm supposed to sort of hover over him and sort of be like you know now might i do yeah, it dagger. yeah and the dagger was uh was was nowhere to be found so I'd left it behind and so I had to come up with something I kind of like half pretended it was like a really small one in my hand and just went up behind him and sort of half did that and no one noticed and this is the thing the swan analogy is absolutely it's 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 you know a well-trodden analogy but it's absolutely spot on 
you know, look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. Lady Macbeth famously says to Macbeth in, in you know, get all the Shakespeare's coming out now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's it's that thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, as long as you look like there's absolutely nothing wrong in Are a situation like that. What no, not, no, no, not fake, not, not fake until you make it. It's not that, but it's, it's that, 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 but yeah, you've called me out on it now. But no, there's that, that example spot on, like, you know, have a plan, but then, you know, in instances like that on The Apprentice, you know, and in kind of, you know, hospitality and things like that, obviously this is, you know, things can go on a much larger scale and then you do need to be very yeah, open and very transparent. All different know. sizes and types and shapes of crisis. Yeah. And it's a crisis frame of mind. Yeah. And so, and the only way you're going to get about that is actually deciding when things go wrong how are we going to handle it that's it yeah what do we need to do to make it a good handling of that situation and absolutely that comes in. yeah and it comes down to like sort of you know it comes down to practically how you're going to handle it and obviously that comes down to like you know being prepared and having due process but i think the example you just raised there in the apprentice as well is absolutely perfect because not only practically how you're going to handle it by being adaptable and being malleable how are you actually going to handle it in terms of you the individual you the personality you can either shut people down with their concerns like your man did no you can't have more water inexplicably or you can go let me just check on that for you i'm sure we'll be able to do something don't overpromise, but be malleable be adaptable be pleasant enough do you know what i mean like kind of don't show you're working don't show you're flustered kind of thing you know that that's the worst because that then just heightens things i'm sure but it all at the end of the day comes down to the people mm. process and the team that you put into place and the accountability that you assign to those people, that's the most important thing. And so when you have something that is either a team that's ready to act on crisis and they have their procedures and they know what they want to do, those people also have to feel that they can talk to each other as well. I think that's another really important thing. You like a football analogy, don't you? I, oh, I can't believe you're about to bring one out. Here we go. Here Love we go. That. I do. So, you know, imagine you have a team that is being hammered and, you know, the other team is passing and doing and running up the line and doing all this stuff and they're being absolutely hammered. They're slaughtered. When a football team goes down and goes down badly, their, ha- their heads hang, they start blaming each other, they stop shouting to each other, they stop communicating with each other. That is the type of brought down crisis team that you're looking at in the government right now, mm, right? Absolutely. When I've seen a football team rallies, they start talking to each other, they communicate with each other, they explain what each other's role is, they know what the other person is going to do, what their purpose is. And the same thing should happen within a crisis team. Everybody should not only talk to each other at the beginning, they should talk to each other all the way through. Keep checking in, have regular meetings, keep each other informed. It's the most basic thing, but you'll be so surprised how this doesn't happen because everybody is so mission critical, running around, doing their jobs. They don't think to tell other people what they're doing and they don't think to keep the wheels of their own machine oiled so that they can work as a unit really really well and that's so so important so you know there are so many different facets but once you've got a team and you've assigned your people you've worked out your process and you've worked out what your plan or what your planning process will be you've got to start training them the next thing if you're in a larger organization you definitely have the wherewithal to do that But there's nothing wrong with doing some mock scenarios. And actually, I don't know about you, but I quite like a bit of training. I enjoy being trained. And I enjoy being trained on things that aren't necessarily in my day-to-day work, you know, that that gets the old grey matter working and gets me thinking outside of what I would normally be doing. Extra skills as well, sort of skills that you can kind of like hone, like strings to your bow, all of that stuff. I've actually been part of a company before, albeit very briefly once, going in and doing the scenarios as an actor sort of that's quite a big section of the acting industry is going in and doing these corporate scenarios for for businesses and kind of being the ones who generate the crisis from a performance perspective and having their employees then deal with that sort of in the moment and so they're trained up and ready to go for that um no you're absolutely right we should get your acting company (laughs) real life crisis we go in and train on it could you imagine if i turned up 
to the advisor you just don't tell them it's going to be me and then I turned up to the team one day and went so hi everyone uh, so I'm going to be doing some crisis <laughs> training this is my acting company here we go I mean this has all been superb and actually I think takeaways for me actually is like the setting of parameters and also how important it is to you know we're talking about training how important it quite frankly is to have people who know it sort of upside down back to front so that they can adapt and react be malleable to it and make sure that everyone knows what their roles and responsibilities are so that again where's the chain of command who's calling who who's getting in touch with who who needs to be contacted by people who are experiencing these crises but what i would say listeners is this there's two things the first one is anyone who messages in the rest is pr either by twitter linkedin or by email on any of the email addresses i'm about to list and says that Jackie's recent football analogy was exactly what Man United did the other week. I won't accept it. I'm not, I'm not going to respond to your, you know, and that's, that's a promise, right? I respond to everything we get sent, but not that. Um, the second thing is this, before we get onto the T's and C's, listeners or viewers watching on YouTube um, will probably see that I didn't actually plan for the crisis that is the lack of lighting in my flat. Um, because you You're see, matching my lights now. So because right. um, I'm now having to use the natural glow emanating from my laptop and my phone torch to create any sort of light so that you can see me on YouTube. I was not like prepared. when I was sinking down the other day. A bit, like when you, a bit like when Jackie was sinking down in the chair uh, and we had no solution. Uh, I found a solution, but I did not factor in the fact that obviously we're recording at an unusually late time. You paid your meter. I, I paid. <laughs> Actually, oh no. Here we go. This is it. Now, maybe I haven't. No, I've literally, I mean, what's weird as well is I think, you know, next step up, you talk about chain of command. Next step up for me is fairy lighting because my wife put fairy lighting around the living room <laughs> just because. And then the next I love is fairy lighting. I think it's great. In fairness, I mean, it would have just added to the aesthetic of what I've got going on behind me, which I promise will be more <laughs> podcast appropriate next week, listeners. But listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this. I mean, we said it was kind of on the hoof, but we've gone, you know. Yeah, you know, but we've we've gone we've we've gone through quite a bit of that there. I mean, I've you know, in terms of our own crisis preparedness and the fact that you know we kind of were like, where are we going with this week's episode? I think we we had process, we prepared pretty well, and we followed <laughs> through on that. We followed through on that promise. We didn't overpromise. If anything, we healthily managed expectations right at the beginning of the episode. That's been a great one though. I've I've learned a huge amount, especially going into what I hope won't be a needed crisis plan but like in terms of like my own sort of processes and things I've, I've certainly learned a huge amount t's and c's listeners because we always prepare for these if you want to get in touch with the rest is pr you can do so by any number of channels you can get in touch with us by email info at the rest is pr.com you can get in touch with jackie or myself via linkedin and i'm just going to reiterate i will absolutely respond to you provided it's not about manchester united getting absolutely hammered by liverpool a few weeks ago but if you include your question within that then there's a chance you might get responded to, but you can definitely message us via LinkedIn. You can also get in touch with us via our Twitter page at the rest is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. And you can also get in touch with us via info at demozo.com. And speaking of demozo, if you want to check out what they've been up to, DAF over there in San Francisco at GDC and all sorts of other really exciting things that the team are up to, then you can just head over to demozo.com. Absolutely brilliant things incoming from the demozo team and jackie herself speaking of jackie jackie same time well say same time next week i mean not some not not same next week we will be doing one next week but listeners thanks so much for joining us once again and from jackie and myself we'll see you next week for another exciting episode of the rest is pr it's bye for now